bless you this morning. Are you ready for a day of destiny? Well, how big is your God? That's all I want to know. Because if Jesus is big, anything could happen today and already has been happening. And I love, um, well, I don't love, I don't get it sometimes, the subtlety of God, how he can do things so unannounced, so to speak, but so deep and so rich. Sometimes we really overlook the faith of walking in Jesus because it doesn't set off a lot of uh, fireworks. Sometimes it does. Other times it's in the everyday days. Sometimes it's in a quiet time of just reflection. I'm always amazed when I come back from a prayer retreat, how I think, oh, it's pretty good. And then weeks later, I'm still living off the manna, you know. It's like you see God and you say, manna, what is it? You know, that's just this. But it sustains you. For 40 years, the children in the wilderness never got sick. Their clothes never wore out. And from day to day, they probably didn't feel that. But after 40 years, they looked back and went, what in the world? How does a million people get out of this thing with the same pair of shoes and no illness in my family? Eating a bunch of plain old manna. Isn't God amazing? And he can do the fireworks and he can light us on fire. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power and on fire. And I've even been praying today that, God, you'll help me be filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire to be his witness today for you. I'd like you to turn with me to the chapter 19 of Luke. If anybody ever tells you to turn to a chapter, remember the chapter and verse and not the name of the book. Somebody told me that one time because I always remember Luke, Luke, Luke. And I go to Luke and when I get to Luke, I go, now what was the chapter and verse? If I remember 19.1, I can usually remember Luke. It's, it's interesting. So I'm just a little, little point there because I've spent years forgetting what chapter and verse. I think I hope he says it again, you know. Luke 19, chapter 1 and 2. See why I forget? Because I can't even say it right when it's right in front of me. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Before we start reading this, I believe God wants to challenge me to say, I am praying right now for 12 people to respond to this message. I believe God could surprise me and would surprise me, but there are 12 of you that need to really consider responding to this message. Beginning in verse 1, reading out of the message version, is that correct? Yes. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name was Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus, whatever doctrine and denomination you're from is depending on how you say his name. I'm going to say Zacchaeus because that was how I sang the song as a child. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man. And what happened? For the Savior for to see. How many are? And what, Susie? And as the Savior was passing by. Okay, who's over the age of 50 in the congregation? Right? Okay. You young people need to learn a brand new song. It's on the top 10 for the last century. All right. Zacchaeus, this wee little man, was a head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. 
When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck. Delighted to take Jesus home with him. Hmm. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumbled. And grumped? Is that what it said in the message? I didn't know that was a new modern, is that a young people word, grumped? It was indignant and grumped. I would say grumbled. But what business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there, a little stunned. He stammered apologetically. Master, I give away half my income to the poor. And if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the son of man came to find and restore the lost. Translations say to seek and to save that which is lost. Could you stand with me as we pray over this word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this people and what you're about to do in our midst. I pray, O oh God, that we will be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and hear the voice of God calling us, that we would answer the call, not afraid, not intimidated, but knowing, Father, you're a good God. You're a good God, and you're a good shepherd. And you wouldn't ask us to do anything that you wouldn't sustain, maintain, and provide for. For you are the provision for whatever vision you're pouring into our heart right now, Father. It won't have to be on our strength or our might or our power. We just need to yield to you today. I pray for those hearts that will hear the cry today, Father, and answer it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Go greet somebody in the name of the Lord. Let them know you're happy they're here today. You'll go ahead and find a seat. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now John. This is a verse two weeks ago we started with, with I am sending you. It's an amazing verse when you actually take the Bible at its word. I remember as a young person saying, do you know what? If every time I open this book I plan on doing what it tells me to do, I don't know how anybody could say this book is boring. Math that I don't understand, have no concept of, is boring. But when I'm going to open a book, and no matter what it says, I'm going to try to live that life, it will become a living Bible to you. It will become the living word of God to you. You will hang on every word. The rub is, can you believe that that will be an advantage to you? Will it be a benefit for you? Will it build you? Or will it cost you too much? Because if you don't think it'll cost you more than it'll give you, it gets very exciting and fun to be a Christian. Jesus says, you know, do you understand the kingdom of God? Do you really understand what it means to seek first the kingdom of God? If you give up everything, then you die. No. He said it's like a man who's stumbling through life, and he goes into a field and trips over something. He does this, and it's a big pirate's chest full of unlimited treasure. He buries it back up, looks around, goes on Ada County Search Assessors and .com and finds out who owns it and goes and offers them twice what they would normally get for the property and has to sell everything he owns to buy it. This is like the kingdom of God. 
Now, if you're a good businessman, you know that sounds like a risk, but if you've ever looked at the treasure and you know that you've already counted what's in it and you bury it back up, it's a killer deal to sell all that you have, you know, your $25,000 to gain $3.5 million. That's what the kingdom of God's like. That is what serving Jesus is like. Yes, sell it all because you've just tripped over a treasure. I, I, I was once young, now I'm old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaking or their descendants begging for bread. I'm going to say that, even though David said it in the Bible. I'm going to say, I was once young, now I'm old. I look back, and I can't believe what God has done for Susie and I. And we were giving it all to Jesus. We were martyring our lives. And, and you get to heaven, and you think you're going to look at Jesus and say, you owe me, bud. Because I gave everything for you, and what do I have to show for it? Do you think Jesus wants anybody to approach him in heaven like that? So he's going to take care of that by you and I going up there and looking down because we're embarrassed by what he's done for us. I don't know why you gave me more than, you know. I gave you my tithes, Jesus. I gave you 10%, and I'm a billionaire now. In the, in the, in the, I, I don't know why you did what you did in my life. When I say billionaire, I don't mean financially. Your babies are worth billions of dollars when they turn out right, yeah? Your health is worth more money than doctors can even fix. There are ways God can make you wealthy beyond your wild... I'm, I own the cattle on a thousand hills, and we somehow think we're sacrificing for him. We need to get that religious mindset out of the way. We're not earning our way to heaven because we aren't going to get to deserve what we get once we get there anyway. It's like a man who finds a treasure, sells everything he owns, and now is a billionaire. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to it. So when you open the book and the Bible, it's a good thing. And if we're going to do what it says that it tells us to do, oh my goodness. Now you need the Holy Spirit's interpretation. So you need to have the Holy Spirit as you read the word. Let's look at John 20. Verse 21, Jesus said this, and we're reading out of the message, and my message doesn't have any verses. How about yours? The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you, just, say just, as the Father Sent Jesus, he sends you. Mm. Peace to you, Jesus says. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. He took their breath away when he said that. So he said, then he took a deep breath and breathed into them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Jesus is sending you. Why is Jesus sending you? Do you really believe that I think it's only going to be 12 that are really going to and should respond to this? But 12 of you are going to. The rest of us get a choice to do the same. Why would God send you? Well, the Bible says just as he sent Jesus, he's sending you and me. How many believe Jesus had a pretty high calling from God when he was born? 
<laughs> you know, he just didn't accident onto his purpose in life. It was pretty important, yes? You're pretty important. And you're pretty to God, and you're important. Why is he sending you? Well, last week during Father's Day, we heard one of the most phenomenal testimonies that I could have ever heard because it applied to my life, and of course I'm selfish, but I have heard from some of you that you like Jet and Linda too, yes? He said some powerful just words. One of them was he said, that incident in college when Ralph and I met. Now, I learned something I didn't know. I thought I was in control of that situation more than I was. I thought God told me to go look for him, and I found Jet. I didn't remember that God had dealt with Jet to try to find me. Now, how many of you know about search and rescue that if somebody's car breaks down, they tell you, jump up and get out of the car and go search for help? How many know that's wrong? Because you're going to jump up, go out of your car, they're going to find your car, and you won't be in it. Now they don't know where to look. They say, set put, if you can, and let them find you. Because when two people are looking for each other, <laughs> and Jet and I were this big campus, and we're looking for each other, and we find each other the first elevator I take. But the reason that was so important to the Lord God is he can see into our destiny, into our purpose for life. And Jet was not fulfilling his purpose. And he said the word, God changed my trajectory. God is sending you because you are to change someone's trajectory. Your life is going somewhere. Their life is going somewhere. Everybody's life is on a trajectory. Not me, it's in a standstill. My wheels are spinning. That's a trajectory. It's going somewhere. You can be a dead fish in a stream, but you're still moving towards the dam, towards the ocean. Your trajectory is important. The word trajectory is defined as the path of life that a person chooses. And I went, you know, the biblical terminology, the spiritual terminology for that is trajectory can be defined in everybody's life as the path of life or death that we all take. There's a way that seems right unto a man, the Bible says, but the way thereof is a trajectory to death. Jesus says, choose this day. For the wages of sin, if you choose that, the wages of sin are, but the gift of God is eternal. It's a choice. In the Bible it says, I want to yell, I want to roar like a lion from Zion into the valley of decision. A valley is surrounded by two sides. You, you've got the valley, but then it's a valley because there are two mountains on either side. And the people of the world are in a valley of indecision, and they are either choosing death or they're choosing life, and God says, I want to roar from the church into the valley of decision that the people of this world will choose the mountain of God. Our trajectory is the path of life or death that we choose. Now, many used to think in religion we had to be good enough to be on the path of life, but we know it's not us doing well. Stan Newton said Wednesday, 
You don't have to be that spiritual to try to live a sinful, sin, sinless life. You just have to be highly determined and highly disciplined. Doesn't mean you're spiritual at all to live a good life. That doesn't bring the life Jesus is talking about because the Bible says that religion is dead. Religion is death. Trying to do it on our own is death. Hmm. I want to ask you this morning, how many could raise your hand with definity? God changed my trajectory. Wow. Wow. Somebody said something, did something that helped you choose to change your trajectory. Now, one person in here I know for sure had Jesus personally visit him and change his directory. It's right here. Justin raised his hand last time. He said, whoever saw Jesus and Jesus saved you personally. Is there anybody else in here that nobody talked to you about the Lord, but Jesus showed up and you chose him? There's two people in here. God can do anything he wants. How many of you chose Jesus because somebody, more than one somebody, a human or humans presented the life choice to you? How many of you in here could say, I chose my trajectory change based on what other humans said to me or showed me or did? It was a human being. You are pretty important to God. Because very few people come to Christ without somebody telling them. For how can they believe in Jesus unless they hear about their choice of life? How will they believe in a better life unless they know there's a better life? And how will they know unless somebody tells them? And how will somebody tell them if somebody doesn't go and preach to them? You see, when I became a pastor, I got out of the ministry. Kind of. You're all in the ministry. You're the ones ministering in the full stature of Jesus. I can't, there's not enough mouth on me, believe it or not, to tell everybody in this valley about Jesus. But you, on the other hand, are pretty important. You hold within your heart and mouth The power of the tongue, in the power of the tongue is life or death. And you live off what you do. Your tongue is powerful. Oh, man. We are being sent because God wants to change life trajectories of the people of this valley, of this world. I'll just read this. Revelation out of the New Living Translation. Revelation 2, 4 through 5. If you want to underline it, turn to there. That's fine. But you have patiently suffered for me, Jesus said to a church in Ephesus. He says, church, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works 
you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Do you believe God's full of idle threats or does he back up what he says? I'm telling you right now, any church that loses its first love, leaves its first love, ignores its first love, walks away from its first love, abandons its first love, these are all translations in the Bible for this verse. Any people who do that, the church light goes out. Because what's it like to come back from camp or from the, the evangelist or the crusade or your grandma's bedroom? What is it like when you first got saved? Do you remember? Do you remember the feeling of being dirty, but now you're not dirty? Uh, we sang a song about the blood of Jesus taking us from here to here. And I wonder if any emotions came up in our heart and we went, I remember that day. I remember that time. And have you ever been around somebody that just discovers Jesus' love for the first time? Try zipping their lip. Good luck. Take a teenager that just has the most awesome experience of their life and tell them don't tell anybody at school the next day. Good luck. The kid that does some phenomenal thing in sports on the way back on the bus, try to tell him quit talking about it. Don't think about it anymore. Walk on, move on, grow on in life. Just normal human beings see Star Wars for the first time, and we can't stop talking about it. And people seem to be okay with that until you become a bore, you know. A girl meets a boy, for the, and he's the boy of her dreams. Now, don't Facebook, don't chat, don't Instagram, don't talk to anybody at school about it. It's personal. Keep it to yourself. Does anybody remember what you were like? <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether you're a boy or girl. You find the girl, you're talking about it in the locker room, sometimes to excess. Do we remember? Jesus is saying to Legacy Church, to all Christians, do not forget your first love. Do not leave your first love. Go back, and we can, apparently we can do this. I want you to go back and remember how thankful you were. Somebody had church camp. Somebody preached a message. Somebody was a good grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, uncle, aunt. Somebody told you about the greatest thing you've ever experienced in your life. Do you remember how much you loved them for it? Do you remember how much you loved Jesus because of it? Let's go back and remember that because it'll do something to us. Our mission at this church is to empower people through the power of Jesus. God wants to empower us today to do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said. Even the apostles were afraid to speak and they said, church, pray for us that we can speak the word with boldness. Pray for us. We want to continue to speak boldly for Christ. Jesus said, man, the, the th when he talked rough to people in churches, it was along these lines. You forgot your first love. Don't, make, don't let your church die because you're losing your first initial experience of me. Do you remember this one? 
If you get before humans and deny you know me by your silence, by your lack of standing up for who Jesus is, by if you just deny you know Jesus or you're not proud of him, when you get to heaven, I will deny I'm proud and know you in front of all the angels and God. Anybody remember that verse? That was out of the loving Savior's lips. Do you know what it would feel like to get to heaven and Jesus go, I'm embarrassed to be around this person. I don't even know this person. Now, I'm not going to talk about it. I don't even want to be around him. Does anybody, can you picture that? And when we go out there, we're proud of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness, it's the power of God to send people to heaven. It's the power of God to turn around their lives. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they'll thank me for it if they can catch it. And I don't do it to be thanked by them, but I'm not hurting them, that's for sure. And because I love them, and because I love you, and people pick up on true, genuine love and concern. I mean, all of you grow up, look back, and go, I know mom was a pain neck, but boy, did she love me, and that's why she kept spitting on that hanky and wiping my face and, and, and calling me at school and say, did you get your underwear in your gym bag? You know, I mean, what's the deal, mom? Leave me alone. But you get older, you look back, it was all because of love. And you get it. People aren't dumb when it comes to love. They get it. You got your best friends down on a river having the time of their life. They got the party barge raft going down the beautiful river. You're up on the mountain, just mind your own business. And all of a sudden you see, hey, those are my friends down there. And they're coming around the bend. You're thinking, what are they doing on this river? It's a restricted river. It doesn't look like it here. But I can see from here around the bend is a 190-foot waterfall. Well, my knowledge is personal. I, I need to mind my own. Live and let live and die and let die. My religion is mine. I don't want to force it on them. Well, yeah, don't force your hot dog on their lunch. Just because you believe in hamburger and they're vegetarians, don't yell at them for that. That's the wrong thing to yell to them. At that moment. And of course they're going to reject your religion at that point. You're not eating like me. I wouldn't drink the beer in the raft. I'd probably have milk. You guys are wrong. Boy, are you missing the message. Hey! Hey, pull over! You can't see something. What are you talking about? You can't see what's here in your future. What are you talking about? Just stop the raft for a moment. Let me talk to you. I'll be right down. And if you loved them, you'd find a way to make your way down to the edge of the river. And you'd draw them a picture if you have to. I have been in the raft you're in. I have gone this route. You are on a trajectory for death. Not because you're bad, not because I'm better than you. It had nothing to do with all that. In fact, you're drinking beer and smoking cigarettes. It had nothing to do with that. And I've never swore a day in my life. It had nothing to do with that. God wants to save your life not because you're living in the raft perfectly. Has, whether you're perfect in the raft, imperfect in the raft, no matter how bad you are, no matter how nasty and dirty you are, it has to do with stop your trajectory. Change your trajectory. You just think you're better than me. Has nothing to tell people. Has nothing to do with that. It's because I love you dearly. 
Because I remember what it was like when I got saved and what it meant to me and how it changed my trajectory. God wants to empower you like he empowered Jesus. To have the gospel message so powerful. Do you know that we are his powerful trajectory changers on this earth? You! Twelve of you are going to stand up today and say, I want to be a powerful trajectory changer for Jesus. I want to raise my right hand, put my left hand on the Bible and say, I solemnly swear God, I won't let people die in their raft anymore. I don't want to get to the end of their life and do their funeral and say, well, I hope they lived a good life. God, I want to be a trajectory changer. And, and God uses the most simple people to do this. D does anybody want to go back and repeat the maturity level of your 19-year-old life? How many judge other people by the way they're 19 because you were so wonderful? Not me. I see a 19-year-old, I give him a lot of grace because I don't want any of you remembering what I was like when I was 19 and 20 years old. And God used that 19 and 20-year-old to tell Jet about Jesus. And he stands up 40 years later and says, God, through Ralph, changed my trajectory. I'm not telling you this because I'm bragging. I thought Jet was in a trailer on his third marriage drinking beer in Mountain Home. That's why I tried to find him. I had no idea I changed his trajectory. And it wasn't because I was brilliant. I just spent two and a half years next to this guy. And I loved him. I loved him so much. And I had no idea. I wasn't smart enough to know how to find him. I didn't even know for sure, except the Holy Spirit was beating in my heart what he wanted me to tell him. And I had no idea that this young man was going to be moved from a trailer in Mountain Home on his third marriage, find the woman of his dreams, his soulmate, spend 20-some years in the military, the Air Force, retire as a lieutenant colonel, as someone who was on national affairs, helping President Bush and our nation at times, things that we can't even talk about with him. And he has four beautiful babies, and I just heard today that his youngest daughter played a year at Rocky Mountain, Lynn. And little Caitlin saw that Jet and Linda were here. And Caitlin Lyons knows Anna Taylor, the youngest girl that was here in our crowd, because she played volleyball with her. And her testimony of Anna was, boy, was Anna on fire for Jesus. I had no idea. I wasn't smart enough to know that. I wasn't confident in my portrayal about Jesus to Jet. I, I didn't know what I'd said to him had that kind of impact. <laughs> we are called to impact men's souls. To not only alter their life now, but it will alter their eternal trajectory. You and I can have that power in people's lives. Now, it's really important when I say the word power because I'm talking about the Holy Spirit power. Let me tell you why you're here, Matthew says. 
You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Going on. Go on. I don't have it on mine. Does it go on, guys? Go to the next one. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you here, there on a hilltop, on a light stand, just shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. Be opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So what does it mean? What does it mean to be empowered like Jesus? How can we become empowered like Jesus? How can we have a desire, a motivation, a passion to change people's lives? Because people are blindly on a collision course with emptiness, misery, and death. Is there anybody in here that can testify that when you really get to know people that don't know Jesus, as a rule, they are blindly on a collision course with misery, emptiness, and death? If you don't see it, God wants to open your spiritual eyes. If you believe all people go to heaven, I want you to go back to what Paul the Apostle said about his Jewish brethren. I thought about that this week. Paul said, I would gladly go to hell for eternity myself if it would save all my Jewish brethren. Now, in one sense, that's all about compassion and love for his Jewish brethren, but do you hear what he says? He's aware they're lost. And he wants to take their place where? This thing we're talking about has eternal repercussions for people. Man, what love Paul had because he knew separation from God for eternity would be brutal. But he's saying, if I could lay down my life for all my Jewish brethren, I would do it. I think he meant it. That's pretty amazing. Here's the key. To be empowered like Jesus, Jesus says this. This is what happens. This is out of the New Living Translation, Matthew 9, 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? What does it say? Did we miss that one? I thought I was in Matthew 9, 36. Pardon? Oh, it's got the message. Let's read out the message then. When he looked out over the crowd, his heart broke, and the word in other translations says he had compassion. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few the workers are. On your knees and pray for harvest hands. The New Living Translation says, He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, distressed, scattered, troubled, wandering, confused, helpless, worried, troubled, fainting, weary, dejected, tired, aimless, beaten down, cast aside. Those are all translations of the Bible. Jesus could see 
these people who were blindly going on as if nothing was wrong in their life, he could see the aimlessness of their life. How many of them felt cast aside? How many of them felt beaten down? How many of them feel tired or dejected or weary or were fainting or were in trouble? And they had tremendous compassion upon the multitudes. You and I are being called and sent like Jesus and God wants to raise in us a compassion, a heart. Like sheep without a shepherd, he said, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are so few, so few people willing to labor in this endeavor of reaching the lost. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Do you know right now, Churches are looking for ministry that will go full-time into the harvest fields just in local churches. And I hear from every pastor, if you don't raise them up, you won't find them. You can't have any of ours because we've got so few here, we can't share. And I looked at this verse and I go, 2,000 years later, it's still true. The workers are so few. I haven't met a church yet that says, please stop helping people. We've got way too many volunteers. Way too many helping with child care, with children's ministry, and oh, we, we slammed the, the food trucks and the community couldn't even get in and get their hamburgers, so half of you stay home next month. Now, I'm not guilting you. I really am not trying to do that, but I'd love to convict you to have compassion like Jesus has, to go where people are that are hurting. The motivation behind reaching the lost is based on our compassion. Compassion is defined as the godlike quality of understanding the suffering of others and wanting to do something about it. The very word compassion means in the very depths of my being, I just love Jed. Now, here's the kicker. We can get religious again and think we can make that happen somehow in our life, but I'm here to tell you until I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I didn't have that. There's a reason Jesus said, I'm sending you. Stop. Let me breathe the Holy Spirit on you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is the power from on high to make us his witnesses. The whole key to being sent by God is tarry in the church till you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can't be my witnesses if you just gut it up and try to be. You won't have the compassion, you won't have the love, you won't have the patience. You won't know to go look for somebody and let God guide your finger to the right button on the elevator. The Holy Spirit is our tutor He's our guide. He tells us what to say even in that hour. He fills our mouth with the way to pray, with the way to talk, with the way to witness, and he infuses us with tremendous fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, kindness, meekness, self-control when we want to throttle him. The Holy Spirit is the key this morning if you want to be one of the twelve. Do not go into a gunfight with your little piddly pocket knife, please. Go in with the bazooka, the anti-aircraft, the 
M95 tank or whatever God wants to equip you with because his weapons are powerful and mighty to the tearing down of every stronghold you'll ever come up against. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the tearing down of these things. Tearing down of the philosophy in our America. Tearing down of the philosophy of the love for money philosophy. I'm in it for myself philosophy. All these high-powered things in people's minds cannot be torn down with us arguing on the street corner with a placard. You need to quit eating hot dogs in your raft. You need to quit smoking and drinking. You need to quit having abortion. You need to quit being this. Wrong message. The Holy Spirit tells you how to communicate you're going to die if you stay on this trajectory. And it gives you the power, the strength, the courage, and the voice to say, hey, and know exactly what to tell them where they go. What? Somehow I believe you. Somehow you intrigue me. I'm at least going to pull the raft over to hear more. And sometimes it takes years for them to finally pick up that valuable raft and jump in a different vehicle. Because they paid a lot of money for that raft. And they put a lot of planning into being on that river that day with those people. And for me to leave all my friends in that raft is also very, very difficult. Because I want to be like them. So it may take patience, perseverance. I heard a story while I was at an MFI conference about a man who was sitting in an audience hearing about a man who had lost his five-year-old son. And this pastor who was talking to us said, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden my mind went back to our family Disneyland trip. And he said, my little boy, five years old, and you know what it's like at Disneyland, Disney World. If you haven't been there, you're really missing out on a whole lot of happiness. It is the happiest place. And this family's there. They're getting their ice cream or this or getting their tickets at this fast pass or whatever. And they turn, and the little five-year-old boy in the red Mutant Ninja Turtle shirt was not where I thought he was, the dad said. Parents, can you relate to this? Billy, Billy, Billy! Where are Billy? And initially, you're not that afraid because he's just right over here, right? Hey, hey, pretty soon you're telling other people, uh, 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 Billy, look for, what, what? We've lost Billy, I can't find him. Are, and the wife was just, you were in charge of watching him. You know how that goes. <laughs> and now mom's activating the whole world. Children, kids, aunt, uncle, grandma, he's running a wed, mutant ninja turtle, and dad and mom are just freaking. Can anybody feel that? Been there, done that? Lost your favorite puppy, your favorite kitten, and you're putting up posters all over town. Lost Fluffy looks like this. No, I'm going to keep it to myself. It's personal. Not when I've lost something valuable. I'm going to shout it from the housetops. I'm going to get the security team from the biggest park in the world. I'm going to go to the top, talk to the president of security. I'm going to say, open up every camera. I want to see every camera. I'm from every place. I'm going to... And this man sitting here, reliving this story, as the speaker said, and I was at a campground and lost my boy. And he said, the speaker said, and this is what God feels like for his lost children. Do you have compassion to have Jesus' heart for Jesus came to seek 
Jesus left the most greatest position in the universe to come down and be in man's dirt because he so knew the trajectory of the lost. And he came to seek and to save because he had a heart of compassion that saw where their trajectory was leading. And there are probably 300,000 lost little boys and girls in their mutant ninja t-shirts. And maybe they're having the time of their life and don't know they're lost. But they're lost. And they'll get in a stranger's car. They'll eat candy from the wrong person. They'll get run over in the street because they're lost. Isaiah said, and then I heard the voice of the master. Whom, whom shall I send to find my lost boy, my lost little girl? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us to find my baby? Who will go? And Isaiah says, and I spoke up. I'll go, Father. Send me. Could you stand with me this morning? Guys, just leave that there for a while. As we begin to sing this next song, I want to do, I want to invite three groups up here. You may be one of the 12 from any one of these groups. You know, it wasn't just the 12 that stayed Christian, don't you? Pretty soon there are deacons and there are Luke's and there are Ananiases and there are Stephen's and Philip's and pretty soon the whole world's full of apostles for Jesus. But we're going to sing this song and I'm going to ask for three responses. One, if you are willing to be sent by God, and this may mean Africa, it may mean across the street to sister, grandma, so-and-so with a plate of cookies. Just do what the Holy Spirit asks you to do. And know it's a treasure no matter what it is. Be willing to be sent to have more love, more compassion, to know how to go and to go with the Lord. As we sing this song, if that's you, I want you to come up and have the prayer team pray for you. Have somebody pray for you. Or just fall on the altar and pray and say, God, send me. Second thing, if you're having a little trouble feeling the love, compassion, patience, maybe you need more of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need to ask intentionally for the Holy Spirit. Jesus' disciples were saved after crucifixion and when he appeared to them after his death and resurrection. How many of you believe the 11 disciples that were left behind were already saved? They believed Jesus was the Messiah. And he said, but you're not done yet. You need to ask for the Holy Spirit. We forget sometimes to be intentional about asking for the power from God from on high to be his witness. If you've never asked intentionally, I want to ask you as we sing, you come up. You can have somebody pray for you and you stand before Jesus. If you walk up in front of them, they know you want them to pray for them. If you walk in between two people, they know you just want to be left alone to talk to Jesus. But I want to challenge you to say, God, I need more love. I need more compassion. I need more courage. I need more boldness. I need to know what to say. I feel so inadequate. Yea, in your weakness, God becomes strong.
That's when you start leaning on him and you know which elevator to take because nobody in the human mind knows how to take an elevator anyway to the right place at the right time. Holy Spirit does. So the second group, I want you to come forward and I want you to specifically ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit or to be refilled or to be filled bigger, fuller, intentionally ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then don't put a criteria on God on how you want him to do that. Just be open. Say, God, fill me. I want to be your witness. I want to have compassion. I want to have love. I want to have the fruit of the Spirit. I want to have power in my life to change trajectories of people. And then the third group, and you don't come up into, you know, don't wait for one, two, and three. Just when we do this, all of you come up and tell the prayer team what you want or just pray before the Lord. Lord knows what you want. The third group of people I felt to say, have you ever had Jesus change your life's trajectory now and for eternity? If you've never asked Jesus to change your trajectory for life right now, and God, from here on out for the rest of eternity, I want you to come up and just ask somebody to pray for you. Tell them what you want. So as we begin to sing, I want you to respond, 12 of you and more. And while we're singing, prayer team, come on up. Go ahead, Tammy. Oh, God, you are yeah, God. my God, my God, oh, God, you Cheers.
We're going to allow Tammy to keep on playing and these that have come forward to stay here as long as they want. And if you would like to come forward after we dismiss, please don't hesitate to. The prayer team will stay up here and somebody will pray for you as needed. Let me bless you, Heavenly Father. I ask that we would each have your heart, that we would be moved with compassion. God, that you would give us eyes to see those who are around us who are broken, who are hurting, who are on a path that leads to death. And Father, you have given us the words of life. God, that you will give us a boldness to speak on your behalf and that this house would be filled with those who are first-generation Christians, Lord, that their path has changed for generations to come. Bless this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.